Welcome to Bible study. This is Len standing in for Nick, who's involved in quite a lot of other work just of late. And uh, we are doing some studies for a series called Making Friends for God. And today we're looking at the topic of seeing people through Jesus' eyes. I hope you enjoy this study as we consider how Jesus met people. But before we go, I'd like to introduce our panel. And uh, I'd like to welcome you first, Will. Lovely to be here, Len. Thank you. And Helen. It's a delight to be here and to take part in this study. Thank you. And Lydia. Yes, I'm very I'm very pleased to be here to study God's Word today. Yeah, thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here today, even though, as you mentioned, Len, uh, yeah, I'm involved with a few other things, but uh, very happy to be part today with this Bible study. And our facilitator, after a short break of a few weeks, is Brent. Welcome, Brenton. Thank you, Len, and thank you, uh, panel. Uh, it's wonderful to be back uh, sharing God's Word, not only with amongst ourselves, but also with our listeners. All right, well, Brenton, it's all over to you. Thank you, Len. Uh, I keep my remarks uh, regarding the start of it brief. Seeing people through Jesus' eyes is what Len has said, and it is vitally important that we understand this so that we can minister to others around about us. Before we start, I'm going to ask Will if he would open with prayer for us. Thank you, Will. Our loving Father in heaven, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you that we have been called to uh, become disciples and your children. Uh, We're thankful also, Lord, that we can be used, that our eyes can be opened to see the opportunities in others And we pray that you will help us to be sensitive to the needs of those around us. Help us to be used to speak words of hope and encouragement to share your love with those uh, that we come in contact with each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There was a very interesting comment that was made which starts with these words, Jesus saw all men and women as winnable. Jesus saw all men and women as winnable for his kingdom. He saw each one through the eyes of divine compassion. He saw Peter not as a rough, loudmouth fisherman, but as a mighty preacher of the gospel. He saw James and John not as quick-tempered, fiery radicals, but as enthusiastic proclaimers of his grace. He saw the deep yearning for genuine love and acceptance in the hearts of Mary Magdalene, the Samaritan woman and the woman with the issue of blood. He saw Thomas not as a cynical doubter, but as one with sincere questions, whether they were Jew or Gentile, male or female, a thief on the cross, a centurion, or a demon-possessed madman. Jesus saw their God-given potential and viewed them through salvation's eyes. Thank you, Len. That's a very profound statement, don't you think, panel? We're going to go straight into our study. The first example we want to look at in Scripture is found in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 22 to 26. 
It's the story of a blind man that Jesus healed. But note, Jesus healed several blind people in the Bible, but there are some significant features about this man that differ from some of the other examples recorded in Scripture of him healing the blind. So we want to have a look at this. Mark chapter 8, 22 to 26. Helen, could you read those verses for us, please? I'd be delighted. Thank you. Mark 8, 22 to 26. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says here, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Thank you, Helen. There are a couple of points that we need to make before we discuss this um, miracle in greater detail. This miracle took place at Bethsaida, which is on the edge of the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a region of 10 cities or towns on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee that were in all probability completely heathen. So there's a very strong likelihood that this man was a heathen. He was a Gentile. The first question that we could ask ourselves is um, why, who, first of all, who brought him to Jesus? Panel? His friends. Um, do you think, Helen, that they may have known something about Jesus in order to do this? Quite possible, quite possible. But what I have noticed with friends bringing friends is that I had a couple come um, to our church one Easter yeah. and they were asked by someone, why did they come? And they said, because Helen's a friend of us and invited us. That's and wonderful. I think there's a lesson there. Yes. Any other thoughts, panel, on that one? Nick, what do you think? I mean, making uh, disciples, that's an interesting uh, yes. thing because uh, um, the principle of making disciples is not just uh, like a training uh, uh, program. program. Yeah. Uh, it's more than that. It's um, time to spend together, as Jesus did with his disciples, and he called them uh, his uh, friends. And um, we can learn from Jesus that when we reach out, to use these words, to people and to share the gospel, we need to apply first Jesus' method alone, yes. which means like to sympathize with people, to socialize with people, to serve them. And when you do those things, uh, obviously you're making friends. And a friend, as Helen said, responds differently to your invitation, particularly for the invitation to come and follow God. Mm. Um, yeah, thank you, uh, Nick. Len, you had a comment, and then Lydia. Brenton, at one time in my life, I did a sales course, and um, advertising takes different forms, but the best form of advertising is personal recommendation. Mm. Now, why? The point is, with anybody trying to sell a product, they have to try to establish their authenticity first. However, if a friend recommends it, you don't have to establish the authenticity. It's already there. It comes from somebody who you trust. 
has used that particular product. And in this case, it appears that these friends knew something about Jesus. And so they brought him and he was happy to go with them because they were his friends. Thank you. Uh, Lydia, you had a comment. He observes here that some friends of this man brought him to Jesus and begged him to touch him. So the key words here are brought and begged. Yes. Uh, Make the blind man didn't come on his own because, you know, he was blind. He couldn't see. But his friends saw his needs and brought him. And he may not have had much faith, but they did. And they believed that Jesus would heal him uh, of his blindness. Mm. Thank you. Uh, Will, I believe you had a comment for us as well. Yes, there. Um, I read that there were approximately 25 uh, distinct healing miracles in the New Testament performed by Jesus. But in more than half of those miracles, you know, a relative or a friend brings the individual to Jesus for healing. Yes. You know, I think that many people will never come to Jesus unless someone who has faith actually brings them. And, and um, translating that to our own experience, I think our role is to become the introducer that brings people to Jesus. Thank you, Will. Uh, Nick, did you have a comment? Lydia mentioned something, and Will also alluded to that, something very significant, that this man may not have faith in Jesus. Very, very interesting, because then it may raise the question, how can somebody who doesn't have faith would benefit of uh, something good, let's say, from the uh, Word of God? But it is uh, something which we can look a little bit into it. Because not always, you know, those people who we are coming in contact with, they will have faith straight away. They are exposed to the uh, word of God in this context, exposed to Jesus, the one who was able to heal and to restore and to, you know, save. And those people who believed, they had a crucial part to play for this man because they knew about Jesus. They believe in the power of healing from Jesus and they trusted Jesus. And through this, that man benefit of Jesus healing. That's interesting. Yes, it is interesting, Lydia. We observe here that this miracle that Jesus proceeded was um, proceeded in two stages like never before. All the time when Jesus healed someone, he healed him at once. But this time, we observe that Jesus touched this person's eyes twice. Yes. He asked him, do you see anything? First of all, he said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Many times we can see people like trees. It means we don't know or we don't want to know about their needs. And uh, uh, we observe here that uh, Jesus was, uh, shared his compassion. Jesus was a very compassionate person, and uh, he's also very gracious, and he understands our condition and lovingly ministers to our needs. The lesson here that Jesus didn't perform 
the healing of this person's eyes at once because the light maybe was too powerful, too strong for his eyes. So Jesus proceeded this in two stages. And uh, just as the light of the sun gradually rises, dispelling the darkness, so the light of God's truth gradually illuminates our minds until we walk in its full light. Thank you, Legia. I think that, uh, Helen, you've got a comment before you. we come to you. I think a couple of things need to be said quickly about this. Number one, it is quite probable that his friends had heard about the demoniacs of Gadara, whom Jesus had healed not that long before that. We are told that they went around and told everybody in the Decapolis what Jesus had done for them. So it's quite probable that even though the man himself as Nick has pointed out, may not have had a lot of faith. His friends did. They had enough faith to bring him to Jesus. And I believe the reason as to why he was taken out of the village, um, as you said, Ligia, certainly it has to do with light, but I believe it's to do with strengthening his faith. And the reason he took him away is because he wanted the man to concentrate on what Christ was about to do for him personally. And it's the personal witness is what makes the difference. So I believe that, number one, he saw people like trees walking around. Number two, he was his sight was fully restored, as it says in the Greek. And um, his faith in Jesus was, shall we say, had moved significantly from the time that Jesus took him by the hand and led him out of the village to the fact that he could now see. Helen, did you have a comment? I was just going to say, we need to remember that Jesus could have healed him on the first touch. Quite easily, quite easily. You know, which he had done with many people. And I think that he was, well, we don't know the exact reason why, but one could imagine that there's a lesson here for us as well as the disciples, that sometimes people are exposed to the truth, the spiritual truth, but they don't perceive it clearly the first time that it's shown to them. And, you know, um, it's interesting to know that even though it was a second touch, he healed him completely. And I think there's grounds there for faith for the man as well. Yes. You know, and I think he would have learnt more from that second touch than he would have from the first. Yes. Good point. Uh, Nick? Just just another application here. Keep in mind this man was about to be sent as a missionary also. And now how good it is for a missionary to share the word of God if you don't see clearly, if you don't understand what you are going to share with other people. Mm. That's again, as Helen said, this is a good lesson for us to learn. Oh, yes. That we need to to have that second touch sometime, you know, to really give our heart fully because this man maybe didn't believe at first. But when when he could see that he's going to see something, you know, yeah. he didn't see anything, but he now is going to see, even though it's not clear, I believe the faith start to grow into his heart. Yes. And then Jesus could do the second touch for him, being whole, complete, and then to go and share the, the good news in a fight. Okay. Um, everyone's got their hand up at the moment. So just I want someone to read verse 26 again, because this puts a whole different complexion on it. Jesus often said this to people when he healed them. What did he say in verse 26 that you read, Helen? Maybe just read the text again. Yeah, it said here that then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. 
Okay, so Nick has said that he's a missionary, and I'm not disputing that fact, Nick. <laughs> but why is Jesus not sending him back into town, but sending him home to his place? Where is, the, where is the place he should start with his witnessing? Yeah, probably it was his home that when That's he right. started his mission. Yeah, exactly. And really? I would like, I would like also yeah. to add here that as Jesus was very uh, kind to this person and very compassionate, and uh, we have to work with people exactly the same as Jesus did, mm. patience. And as Jesus worked in two stages, we have to do the same because uh, as Jesus brings light into our hearts, gradually we have to be patient with others the same to work gradually for them to accept the light of Christ gradually in their hearts and minds. Thank you, Ligia. Um, it needs to be said, I think, um, that God has a timetable for each person. Do you believe that? Yeah, and you said something interesting, uh, Brenton, a bit earlier, that um, in, and I believe, yeah, we are not disputing that he was a missionary, definitely, because sometimes we understand the, to be a missionary when you go through the other countries or in other places and do big evangelistic campaign, yeah. campaigns and forgetting that you can start in your own home. Yes. The, the mission. And that's what I'm saying. He was about to be a missionary, not sent by yeah. others, you know, yeah. at the, where he was supposed yeah. to go was even more important yeah. Yeah. to go into the town and thank you uh, will i'm not dismayed by the fact that jesus seems to have needed two stages to heal him uh, or to give him uh, spiritual uh, give him eyesight i just like to say that uh, jesus has uh, tried to restore my spiritual eyesight thousands of times yes Helen, I think, uh, had to say something. Yeah, I just wanted to link it to, as Will has done, to ourselves. We're told um, in Scripture, now we see through a glass darkly, but then shall we see, be known even as we are known. And so there are stages there as well. We won't understand everything in Scripture until yeah. the Lord comes, and we've got all eternity to be taught by him. Actually, uh, thank you, folk, for your comments. Um, there's a good point that needs to be brought out here. He told him to go home to his family. Is that right? Mm. No. You remember I was talking earlier on about the uh, demoniacs of, or demoniac of Gadara. Where did Jesus send him? He said, I want you to go home to your family and your friends and tell them what great things God has done for you. I yeah. think there is a lesson here for us today. The first port of call should be with our own family and our own friends in reaching out to others for Jesus. And, and just like the Bible, you know, Joshua said, but my house, you know, myself and my house That's right. will follow the Lord. You know, it's very important this because we can be very busy with doing uh, good work for God and forgetting uh, our uh, households. Yeah, we need to keep moving, Frank. I just wanted to add, by going home to the house, who is it that notices a difference in your character first? Yeah. You know, it's if you are with the Lord and you walk away from him, your family are the first to notice. Mm -hmm. And when you have a changed life, um, my sister came to my mum once and said, what happened to Helen? Mum said, what do you mean? She said, she was such a moody child. Well, I had reason to be. She didn't know. But she said, her life has changed. 
And I believe this happened with these these men. Their family would have seen such a difference, not only physically, but spiritually. I believe so. That's that's very true. Of course, we also need to bear in mind, folk, that our personal witness in our own home can produce one of two effects. It can be positive, can also be negative. Yes. So we have to leave that with the Lord. Our second case is a woman known as the woman at the well. I've given her a name, Fotina. You may have noticed that. Fotina means the luminous one. Do you realise that in uh, certain branches of Christianity, she is worshipped as a saint? She's actually called Fotina. I'm not suggesting that we should worship saints, but I'm simply saying that it's nice to give this woman a name. And I like the name Fotina, uh, luminous one. The story is found in the book of John, chapter 4. We definitely haven't got time to go through the whole story. Jesus took four key steps in introducing this woman to him. But the first thing he did, uh, I would like someone to read verse 6 for us, please. John chapter 4 and verse 6. Will, I wondered if you could read that one for us, please. Yes. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7 says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Here is a very important principle that often when we're reaching out to people, we, I believe, forget. Or maybe not forget. We just don't necessarily see it as vitally important. Sometimes in order to reach people, you have to put yourself in their debt. Mm. Now, here, Jesus has been walking for probably 25 kilometers. It's lunchtime. It's hot. He's sitting by a well, which incidentally, folk, is still there today. Apparently, it's one of the easiest um, places of Bible times to identify is the uh, the well that this woman drew water from. And so Fatina comes to draw water in the middle of the day, Jesus is sitting there and he simply says, could you give me a drink? Now, what does that do immediately? Len, you've got your hand up. First of all, a question is non-threatening. Yes. And this was a good approach. Secondly, I don't know if you realise, but there are supposed to be about seven different aspects of getting to know somebody. First, Uh, would be simply to acknowledge them. Yes. Secondly, might be to say, hello, how are you? Which most people don't answer truthfully because if they're (laughs) full of pain and whatnot, they say, all right, thanks. And so you go through these different stages. The next thing might be to ask a question that's a little bit more deep. I notice that um, you're wearing a particular garment is there any significance in that and that is um, a next step in getting to know somebody and then the seventh step is where you tell a person and share with the person your most intimate details jesus jumped a couple of um, points and he went straight to a question which required a response could you please give me a drink Mm. And that is, first of all, it is non-threatening and it invokes a response. And I think it was a beautiful approach. Yeah, thank you. Helen? Yeah, I think we need to note here too that there was no racism in Jesus. You notice that he approached a woman. 
he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan, and people, the Jews didn't speak to Samaritans, especially a woman, and she was openly living in sin, which Jesus knew, and but he didn't he didn't although he did mention that in her story you know go get your husband um and she confessed well he's not my husband but apart from that i think there's a good lesson for us here it doesn't matter someone's race creed religion whatever we are here to share our best friend with them mm. you know right. and i think we need to always remember that mm. you're right helen nick yeah just another aspect uh, i would like to share here no doubt that this was a very awkward situation. A man and a woman yes. to be alone there at the well. Now, it was awkward for the woman, even though she was used to maybe some awkward uh, situations, but it was for Jesus too. And instead of just spending some time there, look at each other or something like that, it break that thing with something which can be very helpful but what I, what I was trying to say here, we may come ourselves in, in some of those situations. And it's very important to approach that in a wise way, yes. rather than to allow uh, all sorts of um, things to, you know, to, uh, to happen there. Thank you, Nick. Um, Helen, before I come to you, there's something here that we, um, we need to move through this fairly, fairly quickly, but... There's something here that strikes me as being very interesting. He asked a question, as Len said, he, he put himself in their debt. He si simply said, could you give me a drink? There's no response here from her that says, yes, I will. Mm -hmm. She simply said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? This then leads Christ into being able to say, you know what? If you'd asked me, I would have given you living water. And then she, that gets her attention. So the, the process of bringing this woman to accepting him as the Messiah is fourfold. Awaken a desire for something better, convict of personal need, call for a decision, and stimulus to action. We'll move through those as we move on. But first of all, he's got to get her attention. How does he get her attention? He gets her attention by offering her living water. He says, if you drink of the water that I give you, you won't ever thirst again and she's still thinking on a, a literal level isn't she she's thinking of literal water what brand of water is the offering that i only need to drink at once and i won't have to have it again helen did you have a comment well there, there was there was just two brief things i wanted to say one was in regards to what um nick was saying i agree with the approach absolutely but there was a sincerity in christ's tone which um, coming back to Len, sometimes the sales guys will come and they'll they'll say something and you know it's a planned speech. You know, there's no sincerity in it. But with Jesus, he was very sincere because he wanted to give her the living water. That's number one. And number two, I believe that he was literally saying, I am the Messiah when he said that he would give her living water because only the Messiah could do that. He was. And uh, furthermore, we should have read verse four, which we haven't got time. And I think it says something along the lines of and he had to go through Samaria. In actual fact, geographically, he didn't have to go through Samaria. Well, it's the shortest the, route. Most of the Jews would bypass Samaria completely, go on the eastern side of the Jordan River and then reconnect with Judea. So they didn't have to go through Samaria. 
This, folk, is nothing less than a divine appointment. Yes. God the Father mm-hmm. had set this apart for him. And I think if you're talking about um, lessons for us today, panel, we need to pray for divine appointments. And God can give them to us in most unusual ways. Len, I think you had a comment. Yes, I had a good friend once. He um, used to pray in the morning, uh, something like this. Lord, today could you lead me to someone who needs you and give me the words to say to them. In other words, he's saying, God, I want you to show me who I can share the love of God with. And in this case, I believe that Jesus deliberately went to that place and he knew when this woman would come, when he would have opportunity to speak to her, and she in turn became a missionary. She did indeed. Um, Could someone read verse 15 and 16? Will, could you read verse 15 and 16 for us? Because this summarises the first part of how he is now leading this woman. She not only has a desire for something better, she's actually asking for it, even though she's still thinking in terms of literal water. What does verse 15 and 16 say? Thanks, Will. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. Okay, what do we learn from that? Jesus, when he calls a person, isn't he drawing her to himself here? She's still thinking in terms of literal water. Give me this water so I don't have to keep coming here all the time. And he's saying, I want you to go and call your husband and come back. What he's doing from here on is revealing to her that he knows the intimate secrets of her life. Because he says, when she says, I don't have a husband, what does he say? You've had five husbands. The man you're now living with is not your husband. Uh, you've spoken quite truly. Then she gets him off track and says, let's talk about religion. <laughs> let's talk about whether we worship on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. Do you realize in this story, Christ is actually saying that the time is coming very soon when even the Jewish temple will no longer be the place where God is to be worshipped. In other words, the Jews will no longer be God's chosen people. He's saying this to their avowed enemies, the Samaritans. Rather an interesting comment, isn't it? Yeah. And, and Brenton, just a, a quick one. We, we're talking about here a lesson of acceptance. Now, we know that the difference in between um, the Jews and the uh, Samaritans, you know, they are a big conflict. And it was mainly based on the state of their being, you know, like yes. the, the Jewish people consider them, you know, Sinful people, even though not recognizing that they have problems themselves. And here was a lesson for this woman when Jesus talked even about her husband. Go and call her uh, husband to come. Try to reconciliate uh, her to realize that there is a conflict there. Also to the disciples, because uh, obviously the disciples would have uh, opposed maybe Jesus when he decided to go through Samaria. Will say something, hey, can we just go the other way or something like that? But, yes. but they, they, uh, you know, Jesus was the master and they were following Jesus. But there was a conflict here. And what a great lesson Jesus, through this interaction with this woman, was hitting, if you like, with one stone, two birds. You know, a good lesson for the disciples, a good lesson for the woman, and also for her uh, household and for the people in her town. Thank you, Dick. That is very true. Um, let's, let's drop down a bit. 
he brings her back uh, a little bit later in the chapter. He brings her back and he says to her in verse uh, 23 and verse 24, Len, could you read those two verses for us? This is such an important um, example. It's probably the best example in the Gospels that we should study as to how to win a person to Jesus or lead a person to Jesus. Right. Verse 23, Jesus said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. Maybe read verse 25 and 26 too, Len, because really it's all part of one little segment that is so important. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, who speak to you, am he. What uh, the early part of these texts was saying, where a person worships is unimportant. Yes. What and how you worship is important. Mm. If you go through some forms and ceremonies, that's just rubbish. It doesn't mean anything like lighting of candles and carrying of icons or whatever. That doesn't mean anything to God. What does mean something when a person worships God from the heart? Yes. Lydia, you had a comment. Yeah, I would like to add here that uh, to worship God in spirit and in truth, it's a, it's a balanced worship that comes from the... Uh, from a sincere heart and deeply sincere and honest feelings that comes exactly from the love and the fear of God. Yeah, thank you, Lydia. Um, you remember the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament uh, says at one stage, and um, you can correct me if I'm uh, misquoting a little bit, he says, I'm sick of your sacrifices. Mm-hmm. I'm sick of your burnt offerings. He said, uh, these people appear, they come before me as though they are genuine in wanting to know my will. He said, I am fed up with it. He's almost using the terminology he uses in Revelation 3. I'm ready to vomit. That's how I feel about your worship. He's saying to this woman, he's saying, the way you worship and who you worship is so vitally important that God wants everything from you when you're worshipping him. Everything. It is not tradition. It's not ritual. It's not form. It's not ceremony. I want you to worship me with your mind, your heart, your soul, everything. Nick, you had a comment. I was just thinking, while we're saying that, because it's so true, it's exactly what happened there with God God manifested his uh, disagreement or whatever with what they were doing um, through um, those ceremonies. But God was given them those ones. What I'm trying to say here, because that can be a danger for us to disclaim some of God's teachings and God's uh, expectations from us. God in other parts of the Bible says, do these things and don't let the other things undone. Because sometimes we, we may move on the extremes and we be too, too liberal to do things, how to say, just in one way or the other. No, actually what is the lesson here? That first of all, we need to worship God from 
our hearts, you know, from who we are, from inside. And other things if we need to do, because I'll bring something very, uh, maybe it's not in, the, in our study today, but sometimes we can worship God even in the way how we act or dress. Put it this way. I may say something very controversial here. Yes, those things are important too. We cannot be just neglectful and, uh, you know, say, okay, but nobody knows my heart. I worship God from my heart. Yes, but we have also other things which we, we are responsible for. Yes. We could be neglectful. Yeah, thank you, Nick. That's, that's a good point. Going back to what you were saying, just well, summarizing that before we move on, uh, remember Jesus said in Matthew 23 when he gave them the seven woes, he said that um, you should have left these things, you should have done the things that you have done, such as the tithing of mint and dill and cumin, that he says you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, mercy, justice, kindness. Now, those things are things of the Spirit. They're fruits of the Spirit. So when God is saying to this woman here that God wants those to worship him in spirit and in truth, he's saying, I don't want you only to deal with the bare bones of the law. I want you to deal with the Spirit behind why the law was given. Helen. I come back to where Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. They had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. Yes, good point. All right, the last part of this is the stimulus to action, verse 28. Uh, Nick, could you read that one for us, please? Sure. This, is, this shows you what her, her response to him revealing himself to her as the Messiah. What is her response? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Is this a woman a disciple? Absolutely. She's already started. She hasn't been to college, Helen. She hasn't done the discipleship course. She's so excited she does two things. Number one, she leaves her water pot there. As far as we know, Christ never got a drink. <laughs> There's no record of him ever of her ever saying, oh, before I go, I'd better give you a drink. You did ask me for a drink, didn't you? There's no mention of that. She's so excited, she doesn't take her filled water pot back to the village with her. She doesn't want to be held up. She leaves it there because it's heavy. It's full of water. She goes into the city. Who does she find? The men of the city. They were the ones who probably knew us the best. After five husbands, I'd imagine her reputation had got around a bit. Plus, culturally, she would have gone to the men first anyway. And what happens? They all come out to see him. What you find in the rest of this story is there are, there are two harvests. Verse 39 down to verse 42. Len, could you read it, please? Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Okay, that's the first harvest. Okay, keep going. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So what you were pointing out for us here, Brenton, is some believed because of her. Yes. Some believed because of him. Yes. Interesting, isn't it? There's almost a study there. Do, do we believe based on what others tell us 
or do we believe based on hearing cross words for ourselves? Hands going up everywhere. In my experience, Brenton, there are people who learn about the love of God and the existence of God through the testimony and witness of, of other people. But there are some and quite a few who believe simply based on the word of God without any other people yes. giving their input. Yes, true. Helen? Yeah, I think we need to remember we have an influence on everyone we come to meet, whether it be good or bad influence. And in this case, they would have seen a difference in that woman. And how many times do people, even out of curiosity, they want to know what brought about the change. And God can use that curiosity and he can use us in that um, scheme of things as well. Thank you, Nick. Just quickly. Yeah, the point is here that uh, even though uh, that woman had a um, bad reputation, God was using her. Without her, those men may never be able to come to Jesus, to hear from Jesus, uh, Jesus' witness. And that's why sometimes uh, we have to put aside things from our own uh, perspective and allow God and the Holy Spirit to work in us and to do the, the things which uh, he wants us to do because he knows best how it is. Too often I heard that. I'm not able, I'm not worthy, I'm not uh, uh, ready yet to go to tell other people. You know what? If God puts in your heart something to say to your neighbor or to your family or to whatever, just say it. God will do the rest of it. That is very, very true. And it's interesting, isn't it, that if you read the Gospels, the two most effective witnesses that Christ had that brought the most people to Jesus were this woman, Fatina, and the demoniac of Gadara. Because in the very next time Jesus comes there, he feeds 4,000 men plus women and children. They've all come out to hear him as a result of the uh, demoniac. So that is something for us to look at. Moving on to um, John 1, 40 to 42, deals with the story of Andrew. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but I want someone to read John 1, 40 to 42, uh, because it shows what Andrew did when he heard Jesus for himself how does this work? It fits in with the principle we've been talking about so far. The principle we've been talking about so far is where do we start? We start with our family and friends. So is this a good example? John 1, 40 to 42. Helen, could you read that one? Thanks. Yeah, happy to. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah which has translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Wow. Now, if we were to compare that with the later example in the same chapter, which due to time we're not going to look at closely, that was Philip with Nathaniel. Remember, Philip came to Nathaniel. He was under mm -hmm. the fig tree, was it? Or, yeah, under the fig tree. And he said, look, we've found, um, who did he say we've found? Messiah. Messiah. And then he said those famous words, Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. And what was Nathaniel? Nazareth? You've got to be joking. Can anything good come out of that dump? <laughs> Nathaniel came from a place called Cana, which was adjacent to Nazareth. In other words, they knew one another pretty well. Obviously, Nazareth had a bad reputation as a town. I've been to Nazareth. Today, it's got a population of 25,000 people. And it's a very hilly place. Uh, we were walking uphill. I was puffing by the time I got up to the church in Nazareth. 
Um, but here, the first thing both of these people do, Andrew brings his brother, Peter, to meet Jesus. Philip brings his friend, Nathaniel, to meet Jesus. I believe there was quite a big difference in between Andrew and Peter. In right. The- Of character. What do you think the difference was? Oh, you know, Peter was the one who will, uh, you know, speak out, you know, whatever, uh, you know, he think of. Uh, Andrew was a man who probably was thinking twice, you know, a little bit more conceived. And But interesting here, because this is the point, we need to start from where we are, in where the opportunity is. Maybe the temptation for Andrew was maybe to go to somebody else, another friend of him who was more like him. Mm-hmm. He used that moment and he went to his brother, even though maybe in his mind he will say, I know what Peter will do or will say, you know. Because he probably did know what Peter would do. He used the opportunity and who was closer to him and was his brother. He went to him and told him about this great news. I think the important lesson from uh, just these two little examples is simply this. Um, even if people are negative about it, if we've given our witness and we've shared Jesus with them, it's really not over to us to make the decision or to um, to see what the results will be because we don't know how the Holy Spirit is working on that person. Helen, you had your hand up and then Len. Yeah, I was just going on what um, Nick was saying. You know, start where you are, begin where you are. But I remember years ago somebody said to me, bloom where you are planted. Yes. Sometimes we think we're in the wrong place at the wrong time, but if our life is committed to Christ, if we even if we've just come to know him, we can bloom where we are. We can begin with what we know. And that's exactly what happened here. We found the Messiah. We found the Jesus. And, you know, when you find him, you can't keep quiet. One of the important things, Helen, I think that you made the point just earlier that we need to just share with our listeners and ourselves is there is no wrong time to share Jesus. Opportunities are opportunities. How you use those opportunities, if you are close to the Lord, even if it seems to you as though you've wasted your time, it's not necessarily been wasted. The seed has been planted. Len? I think um, we should see ourselves as messengers. We um, are not ultimately responsible For the reaction of anybody, like the Apostle Paul announced, he said, I, Paul, planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and the Holy Spirit made it grow. Paul saw himself as a messenger. And I think this is probably one reason why some people feel reluctant to share the gospel with others, because they sort of take on uh, take it on personally. If a person rejects the message that they carry, they feel that the person has rejected them. We have to put that aside. We carry the message and leave it to the Holy Spirit to make the impression of what that person would like to do, whether they accept the gospel or not. Yes. Thank you, Len. Dealing with difficult people, there was a little comment here that said this, none have fallen so low, none are so vile, but that they can find deliverance in Christ. Um, I did use an example here due to time. We're going to have to cut it fairly short. But in the book of Philippians, in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, there are two ladies mentioned, Euodia and Syntyche. And it's interesting that these two ladies obviously were not getting on well together. 
Paul seems genuinely aggrieved by their inability to get on. It seems as though they played a prominent part in the church in Philippi. And we all know that when you've got prominent people falling out with one another, it can have collateral damage on the rest of the church. And Paul pleads with the fellow believers in Philippi to help these women, to help them to be strong in the Lord and to to see um, the Lord in the way that they came to the Lord in the first place. In Galatians, he gives some good counsel. He says to restore others in a spirit of gentleness. I wonder whether that's something that we always do when we're dealing with difficult people. Alain? We must recognise that although these two ladies didn't get on particularly well together, that God could use each of them in their own way. Yes, that's true too. I knew a gentleman once. I shuddered whenever I saw him. We used to call him the I-man. He would always be talking about, I did this and I did that and I did the other thing. And I didn't particularly like him, although I didn't let him know that. But, you know, he did a wonderful work for the Lord. He went all over South Australia, parts of Victoria, parts of New South Wales, letterboxing um, religious pamphlets in people's letterboxes. And quite a few people gave their heart to the Lord because of him. Yes. So although there wasn't this spirit of togetherness within the Philippian church, God can use even difficult people. I, I think the point, Len, is here also uh, about us, how we uh, react to those um, situations with difficult people, because definitely there was conflicts in between even the apostles, you know, and God used them even separately, you know. But when we deal with the difficult people around ourselves, either though it's in the church or it can be even in family, and then how are we advice here to deal with? Because keep in mind, here we are a body of Jesus Christ. Now, we may come across with other people who don't want to know anything about God and do anything with God. We are not now called definitely to stick with and and just, you know, even Jesus himself walked away from from some situations. We're talking about here how to deal with our own people because too often and i felt that myself and i had to give a testimony here i felt that being a difficult person as i am that people just turn their back on me and walk away from me and that you know i mean it can be a lesson if you can learn from that uh, if not it can be dangerous my advice is it can it can yeah to to have that love of jesus shows us that we need to work on those people who are more difficult or sensitive or whatever. Work more on those ones than spirit, on others. Yeah, a spirit of gentleness. Uh, Will, you had a comment. I think the uh, what's appropriate um, in this case is the words of uh, Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. Gently, gently, gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Therefore, carry each other's burdens in such a way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Len? I was thinking about the practical aspects of this. Having uh, worked in a place where I've dealt with people most of my life, 
I realise that there are some things that we must avoid doing. And one of those things is avoid taking sides. Yes. If there are two people in opposition. The other thing is to practice good conflict resolution by calling those people together and asking them to state what it is that's bothering them and to say how they feel about it and then to suggest a possible solution. Yes. I've been in this situation trying to resolve conflicts. Mm. Now, I think both of these women were really lovely women on fire mm. for the Lord, but they just couldn't get on together. Thank you, Len. Time is running out. So our, our last one we're going to look at is Sensing Providential Opportunities. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Probably summarising it fairly quickly, the Holy Spirit was the one who actually uh, told Philip to go to the road that goes down into the desert. Now, he wasn't even told what he was to do when he got there. And uh, when he did arrive there, along came the chariot with the uh, Ethiopian eunuch in it, and he was told to join himself to that chariot. Sometimes when God calls us folk to witness for him, you get the barest details. Are you with me? Sometimes you can start out talking to a person and you don't even realise it's a divine appointment. It's not till you've been talking to them maybe for three quarters of an hour, all of a sudden, hello, the lights all come on and you start thinking in terms of, I think God wanted me to meet this person. And Philip had this experience. And as we know, the Ethiopian eunuch went back to Ethiopia and Christianity was thus introduced to uh, the country of Ethiopia, where there are many Christians in 2020. I'd like someone to read a statement in uh, summary or in closing. All around us are people seeking for the things of eternity. All around us, people are seeking for the things of eternity. As Jesus so aptly put it, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The problem, therefore, was not with the harvest. With eyes divinely anointed, Jesus saw a plentiful harvest where the disciples saw only opposition. What was Christ's solution to the problem? Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The solution is to pray that God will send you out into his harvest. Thank you, Lydia. Len? I just want to share a short story with you. I had a business on a major road. Quite often people would call in and they would just want to talk. And I couldn't understand why they would want to talk to a perfect stranger, but they did. One day a chap who I'd never, ever seen in my life before called in and he was telling me his life story. He had cancer. It was terminal. He had a few months to live. And I talked with him and sympathised with him and the thought crossed my mind, should I pray with him? But I didn't. And later on, I felt very sorry about that because I think that man was sent to me and I failed in my responsibility. But we don't know wherever people pop up that we might be the ones to share the message of God's love with them. Well, thank you, folks, for your uh, participation today. That's come time to summarize our study for today i trust that we will see jesus um, through or see others through the eyes that jesus sees them through nick i wondered if you would close with prayer for us please 
Sure. Almighty God, Father in heaven, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who come and died for us, that we may live for you, and the one who show us everything what to do. And as we learn today, to see everyone around us through the eyes of Jesus, to not uh, miss out on any opportunity to witness for you, Lord, but to commit ourselves to you and allow you through the Holy Spirit work in our life and to be changed as we can influence others to be changed for your kingdom. I pray that you will be with us and everyone who is listening to this program. There may be people facing all sorts of challenges and having all sorts of questions. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll answer them. Then you'll be with them. Then you'll put your hands around them. But also you'll help us to really see the need in our community, wherever we live, starting from our homes and into our towns and to the end of the world. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A final comment to our listeners before we sign off for the day. Remember Christ's words. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe, ready for harvest. May we have the spiritual spectacles on that we will see people as Jesus sees them and see those closest to us as potential candidates for the kingdom of heaven. I pray that that will be the experience of ourselves as a panel, but also of our listeners. May God bless you as you go through the day. And thank you for joining us today, listeners. If any of you feels that you would like to learn more or need somebody to talk to, please don't be afraid to contact us either through our normal producer, Nick, or through the station uh, if you need some further help and or prayer. Until next time, I'm glad you joined us and may God bless you all.